You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. And kids, it was great to have you here. Glad you could be here. Well, it is that unofficial holiday known as Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, so we might as well just get this out of the way, right? That's the day it is today. So um, as we gear up to the big game, the super big game later this afternoon, any Chiefs fans here? Okay, one. No, I'm teasing. There's maybe five. Okay, any 49er fans here? Oh, wow, I'm sensing a little momentum for the 49ers. Okay, that's, that, maybe that's good. I don't know. Okay, anyone who's rooting for a good commercial here today? Yeah, okay. Anyone here who rooting for some good food today? That's who you want to win. Yeah, okay. And how many of you are Super Bowl what? What, what, what? what day is this? Right? Yeah, and there's some of those too. Okay. So, you know, the interesting thing about... Um, Super Bowls in particular is in the lead up that sometimes last weeks, usually last weeks, to this game today, however the game turns out, it always seems like there are some really compelling stories that you begin to hear about with, with these players. And I think in fairness, there's compelling stories on both sides of the football today. And, you know, really, in fairness, it, it, for both these teams, it's kind of a miracle they're both there because it looked like they weren't going to be there. This was not a shoe-in for either team. Both of them came real close to losing on their way to the game today. So really, you see a lot of perseverance in the lives of these players and in these two teams. And we'll come back to one of those stories in particular later on in our time. But perseverance really is kind of an overlay of this book of, of Nehemiah. And it's definitely where we're going in our time together here today. And again, wherever you find yourself here this morning, whatever season of life you're in, I think this is a relevant, practical, timely word for both you and me. Because in the arc of this story here with, with the book of Nehemiah, we've seen him persevering already. I mean, insults and um, gossip and threats and, you know, disparaging things and conflict, even within the community he's trying to lead. Just all these things have, have revealed themselves. In fact, we looked at this reality some weeks ago that whenever you choose to follow God, to trust God, to love God, to, to be faithful to him, you are going to encounter resistance to that, right? Sometimes that resistance comes from within. It's our own struggle with our sinfulness and selfishness. Sometimes that struggle is from without. We have an enemy who hates God, hates us, and is constantly warring against us. But also, we live in this broken world with broken people. And many times, that resistance will, will, will reveal itself as well. I almost titled this sermon, Rise of the Resistance. This time, it's personal. <laughs> because it does get personal today. You see, up till now, the attacks, the threats, the, the, the disparaging remarks, the criticisms, those have all been leveraged primarily against the Jewish people as a whole. But today it gets personal. And now the enemies of the people in Nehemiah are getting desperate. So now they're going to come after him. And so we see this begin to accumulate and culminate. And it doesn't take very long 
for you and me to be able to, to look at this and I think relate to it in some way, shape, or form. You ever been criticized for doing the right thing? Ever been slandered for doing what God wants you to do? Ever been intimidated by someone who doesn't like what you're doing and they come at you? Ever been, ever been threatened? Of course you have. Well, let's go a little bit further. Have you ever felt like giving up with whatever that looks like, with whatever that means for you? You know, this time last year, um, there was a culmination of things in my life. I mean, all of us had emerged from COVID, and, and COVID was its own kind of difficulty. And any of us in leadership in COVID, you know, it was very, very difficult. And so there, there's that. And then many of you know, because I've shared this in the arc of things the last couple of years, in that season, Jamie and I had lost three parents in two and a half years. We had been very, very heavily engaged in caring for them um, and trying to help them finish well. But that was its own level of, of difficulty. And there was other stuff going on in my personal life that I didn't necessarily tell you about that was also very, very difficult. All that being said, this time last year, I was at a place in my life where I felt like giving up. I really did. And some of you were right there this morning. You know, maybe work is just incredibly difficult. You wish you could get out of it, and, and you can't. Maybe someone is making your life difficult at work, or maybe you're just struggling at work, or maybe, like so many have done in the last couple years, you've done what they called quiet quitting. Or silent quitting, where you show up, you put in your time, but your heart's not there, and, and honestly, you don't want to be there. You're just doing what you have to do. Or maybe you're on the other side of the equation. You've been looking for work, despite all this stuff we hear about, oh, the economy's great, it's doing well. I've talked to so many people who are just so frustrated in trying to find work, trying to find a job. And in this work culture that we have now, there, there was this pivot that happened a handful of years ago where if you send a resume in, you don't ever hear anything. It's just crickets. So, so you never know, am I being considered? Am I not? And it can get profoundly dis discouraging. And some of you feel like quitting, quite honestly, on your marriage this morning. Things are hard. And there are those days, and maybe even this is one of those where you just, you just want out. And some of you are, are in the, the place of where you're, you're dating and it's just so frustrating and it never works and it's just always kind of weird and you can't seem to find the right person. And it's just, where do you start? And do, do you really want to keep doing this? And then, you know, we could chase this into parenting. I mean, some of you are just really struggling to know what to do with your kids. And you just, you feel like giving up some days. And some of you, as grandparents, are struggling with your grandkids. You know, they say that God's reward for not killing your kids as teenagers is grandkids someday. But someday, some days, rather, it doesn't feel like that. And then there are some of us who are up against that thing in our life that comes looking for us again. In, in fairness, it's an addiction. We're looking at something we know we shouldn't look at. We're involved in something we know God doesn't want us to be involved in. Or maybe it's that sinful habit, that selfish thing that we keep defaulting back to, and there just seems to be no escape. And there are some days we feel so defeated, and we just feel like giving up. Does any of that 
resonate with you. And I, and I bet it does. And some of you are right there this morning. Well, God in his providence, God being the God who meets us where we're at, who gives us hope and encouragement and perspective, this is a word for you today. It is not by coincidence that you're watching and listening to this or that you're here in the room. Because God wants you to know he loves you and he has a plan and purpose for your life and to not give up. And to get that perspective, to get that hope, to be reminded of that again, we're going to go back to the story of, of Nehemiah. So here's the deal. The walls we're about to read have been completed. The gates, though, are yet to be set in place. So the city's still in a place of vulnerability, but, but a lot of work has been done. And, and it's remarkable and it's, it's amazing. But now the resistance is going to intensify against Nehemiah especially. And he's going to have multiple opportunities to give up, and he doesn't. And how is he able to do that? What does that look like? Well, Nehemiah chapter 6. And we'll start with verses 1 through 2. So when word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, this doesn't quite set right for those of us who have been following the arc of the story, Right? I mean, these guys are the sworn enemies of Nehemiah and the people, and now they want to meet with him in the, in, in the valley of Ono? What's the problem with that? Well, for starters, it's named after the person who broke up the Beatles. I mean, that's bad, right? Okay, no, it's <laughs> We kind of went off the rails there. No, it has nothing to do with that. But this is a problem. This is not the plains of Ono. This is the plains of... Oh, no. Because of what's lurking behind this. This was about as far as you could get from where Nehemiah's um, protection was, where his authority was. This was on the very edge of, of where he would have resources at his disposal. To go here was a great risk. And these guys who have sworn... As to be his enemies, who have criticized him, who have, slant, who have attacked him, who have disparaged him and his people, tried to discourage them, threatened them with their very lives. Now they want to meet together. And the vibe behind this, as we were talking about this in preaching team, is the, this vibe of, okay, well, the Valley of Ono was, was a beautiful, the plains were a beautiful place. And so, you know, let's bury the hatchet. You know, Nehemiah, we always, we always really liked you you know, at the end of the day. And so let's play a round of golf and just hang out and see if we can work this out. And, and how does he respond to this? Not react, but respond. Look what he says. But they were scheming to harm me. He sees right through it. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop? Why leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. He refuses to be distracted. He keeps the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. He is trying to build this wall, and yet they are desperate to stop him 
And so they're doing their very best to distract him. Do you and I have any distractions in our lives that, that keep us from keeping the main thing the main thing, from, from, from doing the things we need to do, even from following the Lord? Would you take this out of your pocket if you have it? Or just look at it in front of you? Recent survey released just this last year from Review.com says that the average American does what you and I just did, pulls out their phone 144 times every day. And that we spend an average, and this is an average, right? An average of four hours and 25 minutes on our phones every day. And some of you might be thinking, well, it's those millennials and Zoomers. They're completely, you know, skewing the survey. No, that, that's an average. Some of us more, some of us less, but talk about a source of distraction. We're more connected than we've ever been. We're also more disconnected than we've ever been. And we're more exposed than we've ever been. Look at where this goes here. So as the arc of the story continues, a fifth time, Sam Ballot sends his aid to me, send, sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets. And I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will be too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Let's look back, though, at what happened here. So they send an unsealed letter. So in that day and age, when you were sending an important letter to someone, you would seal it, especially if it was from a governmental authority. Sam Ballot is a governor, so that should be sealed with his seal. And the significance of that was, if that seal was broken and you were the delivery person, you were the messenger, your literal life could be on the line because of that. So to send an unsealed letter was like posting something on X in our day and age. This was out there for everyone to see. Because it was unsealed, it was a, it was a welcome mat to open it up and read it and look at what it said. And so this is being passed along as it finally gets to Nehemiah. And it's absolutely not true. But there is legit concern here. Because some years earlier, this same king who sent Nehemiah, had gotten a report that the Jews were beginning to revolt, even though it wasn't true, and he had stopped construction on the walls and the rebuild of Jerusalem because of it. So they were drawing on some history here. It had happened before. Maybe they could make it happen again. And again, look how Nehemiah responds. He confronts it, but he doesn't justify himself. He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't necessarily defend himself. He just says, this is not true. And so he keeps going despite their slander. He says, you're just making it up. Now, of course, wisdom needed in this. This is not simple necessarily. But when someone slanders us, how often do we err on the side of explaining ourselves, justifying ourselves, defending ourselves? And again, this has such a modern feel to it, does it not? It is reported 
among the nations. What, what does that sound like in our culture today? Unnamed sources have said, well, who are these unnamed sources, right? Or if it's more relational person to person, you ever had a conversation with someone where they're talking about something like this that's a criticism of you or even slander of you where they say, well, you know, everyone thinks this. Everyone believes this. You ever stopped and asked, who's everyone? Right? Or to take it further, this is like someone posting something or tweeting something. Yet Nehemiah doesn't react to it. He responds to it. And he keeps going regardless. Nehemiah lived for an audience of one. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? What a very necessary question to ask. Because some of us are bent towards pleasing other people, right? Actually, a number of us are. I'm one of those. I have a bent towards pleasing people. And it makes me you know, a good listener most of the time, and I, I see people and you, you know, most of the time, I, I, I get people and I, I can relate to people and it helps me as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, but it makes me very sensitive to slander and yes, even to criticism. And I remember my father-in-law who was one of my spiritual mentors and like a second dad to me, I remember him telling me once, Jay, when it comes to life and even leadership, if you're not being criticized for doing something somehow, some way, you're probably not doing anything. I mean, it's going to happen. It's, it's part of life. And, and yes, you look for the seed of truth in the criticism. But when it comes to slander, boy, that's a different ballgame. And so many of us feel a need to, to justify ourselves, defend ourselves, set the record straight. And yeah, there's a time and place for that. But it's, it's interesting to me that Nehemiah just says, you know what? You're totally making that up. It's not true. And then he moves on. So the enemies take it to the next level here. If they can't distract him, if slander isn't going to sway him, maybe this will. So one day I went into the house of Shemamiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in in his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. Is there any fear swimming around in there? They're coming to kill him. What's he going to do? And so this is, again, how he responds. Should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I'm not going to go. I realized that God had not sent him because that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. And as we're looking at this, this is not arrogance. Where he says, should a man like me run away? This is a statement of identity and purpose and really humility. We looked at this reality last week that Nehemiah totally understands he's in a place of leadership and God's entrusted him with all these resources and all, all this power and authority and he is an example. And so he is determined to set an example. 
And this is really interesting. The word here for temple is the word for temple. So what he, this false prophet, is trying to entice Nehemiah to do in his fear, in the what ifs, is to go into the temple. But according to to Numbers chapter 18, only the priest could go into the temple. This isn't talking about the outer courts. This is where the priests go. And if you'll remember with me back to the Old Testament in another place, King Uzziah, one of the nation's kings, decided to go into the temple where he wasn't supposed to go. And he escaped with his life, but he left for the rest of his life with leprosy as a result. So they're trying to entice him to give in to fear and to actually sin. And what would that have communicated to the people if we, would have, if we would have gone? Well, he understands what it would have meant. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, going in the temple. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. And if you read on in the book of Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9, he's going to call the people back to the law. He's going to call them to repentance. He's going to call them to revival and to reform. And how is he supposed to do that when he doesn't follow the law himself? And so you see all this fear, and yet he keeps going despite it. And we've looked at this reality before. Faith is not the absence of fear. It's what you do in the presence of it. You can be afraid. You can feel fear and still choose to live by faith and to trust and obey God accordingly. What are you afraid of this morning? What are you going toe-to-toe with? And you know, as our Gary Brashear so rightfully has reminded us, when he got his cancer diagnosis a couple years ago, or however many years ago it's been now, he was afraid, and understandably so. But his mind started to go into the what ifs. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? And remember what Gary told us he, he did when he began to struggle with that? He, he realized, he recognized that Satan lives in the what ifs. And we can't live there. We have no control over the what ifs. But so much of our fear comes from the what ifs. And can you imagine what's going through Nehemiah's mind? What if word gets back to the king, even though it's not true, that I'm about to revolt? What's going to happen to me and my people? What happens if these guys come looking for me? If these guys really are going to kill me? Maybe I should run to the temple for protection. And, and on it goes. He keeps going despite fear. And the what ifs will paralyze us, will discourage us, will distract us, will immobilize us like nothing else. And we're reminded by Nehemiah's example, from right thinking comes right living. He remembers who he is. He remembers who God is. And as we'll see in just a moment, he'll remember his purpose. So I want to look at some characteristics of people who don't give up. Characteristics that we see in Nehemiah's life as he responds to distraction and slander and criticism and, and, and even fear. And, and this template, 
I got from um, a guy by the name of Rene Schleffner. We've, we've uh, talked about him and his church previously, Twin Lakes down in California. They did a similar series, and I really like this template, so I'm stealing it. His template, my sermon. So here we go. Four characteristics of people who don't give up. Remember when he responded to them trying to draw him away from the protection of Jerusalem. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Man, that's not arrogance. Again, that's the realization that he has work to do. That, that this is his priority. And we see here that he has this compelling purpose. Do you? Do I? Do we have purpose to our life? I mean, is there more to life than just paying bills, taking vacations, watching the 49ers beat the Chiefs? Wait, no, I'm just, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm, I don't, I just want a good game. And the answer is yes. I mean, do you realize we were talking about this at Preaching Team when we first started this series? God didn't ever directly tell Nehemiah to go rebuild the walls. You will not find that. Remember chapter 1? He gets this report that Jerusalem still lies in ruins. The people who are left there are just living like ghosts among the rubble, and the walls are broken down, and even though successive groups of Jews have gone back with the blessing of the king to begin rebuilding things, but the walls are still not built. So he looks around, proverbially at this point. He, he sees what's broken. He prays to God for opportunity, and the opportunity comes, and he's ready, and he asks for resources and authority, and, and the king grants that all to him, and he begins to rebuild the walls. But sometimes we have this tendency to look at the godly men and women of Scripture like Nehemiah, and to make them into superheroes. And to think, oh, I could never be like that. I mean, that's great. That's inspiring. But that's not me. I'm just a normal. That's not for normal people like you and me. But, but, but what, did, what did Nehemiah do? He looked around at what needed to be done, and he, and he did it. He saw what was broken, and, and he fixed it. You see, my friends, whether you and I know it or not or recognize it or not, or not, and I hope you do, I hope you know it and I hope you recognize it and I hope this reinforces it, but you have purpose for your life and so do I. God loves you. He wants you to have an intimate relationship with him. You were created for it. My capacity, your capacity for relationship comes from God. And so once again, you need to hear today that you have a higher purpose, you have a greater purpose than just making money and seeking comfort and doing your best. God has a much greater plan for your life and mine than that. Because when you chose to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you were saved by the divine rescue mission of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he didn't just save you from something, he saves you to something. You not only are saved by the divine rescue mission, but you are a part of it. You are a part of the divine rescue mission and the kingdom of God if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you have a purpose that supersedes the daily things of your life. You are part of the divine rescue mission, which means, like Nehemiah, you look around and where someone or something is broken, where sin is marred and destroyed and robbed something of what God always intended it for it to be, then you do something about it. 
Wherever there's brokenness, we lean into it. I have a purpose to my life that will never change because I know and love Jesus Christ. Someday I'm not going to be a vocational pastor. And when that day comes, I will still have just as much purpose to my life because I'm part of a movement, a movement of God. So I'll ask you again, do you understand and know your purpose this morning? It's to know God and enjoy him and love him and to love other people and to join his divine rescue mission. God is redeeming and restoring and renewing this world. It is happening. And no, we haven't fully got there yet, but we are the hope of the world as the church through Jesus Christ. So every day your feet hit the floor, you have purpose. Whether you're retired, whether you're in a job you like or don't like, whether you're between jobs, you have purpose. So once again, do you know what your purpose is? Many years ago, I was challenged by a number of mentors in my life. You know, just with your bent, Jay, the the way you think, the way you live, the way God has wired you, it would be really good for you to write out your life purpose. And so 25 years ago, I did that. And when I came to that point last year where I was ready to just give up, whatever that meant, that's how I felt. And I'd never felt like that before. One of the things I did, and one of the things on my sabbatical I did, was I went back to my purpose statement. The purpose that that I believe God has for my life with how he's wired me. I like to share this with you. Wrote this 25 years ago. Look at it every so often. My ultimate goal is to make my life count by making a difference in the lives of those around me. First with Jamie, then my kids, then my extended family, and then those in my ministry. I will use my gifts of Pastor Shepherd, exhortation, and mercy to join God in his work and advance his kingdom and impact the lives of those around me. And you're going to hear some strength finder language here. I am a communicator, a learner, a ranger, a developer, a maximizer. And I will allow God to place and use me where I can have maximum impact for him. I will lead my family intentionally, guided by the Holy Spirit, seeking to love my Jamie and my kids by the standard that God has set before me. I will constantly seek ways to deepen my intimacy with Christ by developing my character, honestly facing the issues in my life, striving to make better choices and allowing the Spirit to change me as He sees fit. I will speak the truth in love, finding my significance in Christ, seeking to please God and not others. I will finish the race, fight the good fight, and take hold of the crown of glory that God has promised me, the crown that will never fade away. It took me about three years to craft that. And I came up with that because I never want to lose sight of God's purpose for my life. I have purpose, and so do you. Doesn't mean you have to write it out, but he does want you to live it. And so therefore, we have, we have hope despite what life throws at us. And, and look, Nehemiah sees them coming from a mile away when they want him to meet them on the plains of, oh, no. And they're trying to frighten him over and over again. And he recognizes, he realizes, man, God didn't send that prophet. God is not telling me to go run into the temple and hide. All this leading up to, he had this really clear discernment. And discernment doesn't start with a D. It doesn't alliterate. So I wrote perception because all this is P stuff. But 
point's the same. Do you have discernment? And actually, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he lives within you through his Holy Spirit. And yes, you actually do. You have access to discernment. Now, some of you are gifted at this. It's actually a spiritual gift. Scripture deliberately singles this out as, as a gift. And my wife, Jamie, has this gift. I'm absolutely convinced. She has the gift of discernment. She's able to size up people and situations and motives, and, and she reads them pretty accurately most of the time. And I've, I've learned through the years to listen very carefully to what she thinks. And Nehemiah sees what's coming here. And again, if you look at the language that's used here, the plurality of the we and the us, it strongly suggests, it never says it explicitly, but I think it's there, it strongly suggests that he was in community. In fact, we know he was. And discernment comes from living life as a community, helping one another see the work of God and that which isn't the work of God. So we have the Holy Spirit. We also have the Word of God, which is the final filter, the final authority for how we live our lives. And yes, we have prayer. Look at how often and under what circumstances Nehemiah prays through what we've seen here. Before he goes to the king, he spends months in prayer. Then when he's in the moment asking the king, risking his life, he's praying. And as these attacks begin to come, he's ridiculed, and yet he still praise. He asks God for reward and blessing. And yes, you can do that and you should do that because God wants to do that. He wants to reward and bless you for trusting and obeying him. He prays that God would strengthen his hands. He prays that God would hold his enemies accountable for what they're doing. And we haven't gotten here yet, but in chapter 9, he prays the longest recorded prayer in the entire Bible. He's a man of prayer. He's always praying. Are you? Prayer is not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing, organic thing between us and God constantly. And then we see this. They come at him multiple times. Four times they got him to go or tried to get him to go to the plains of, oh, no. They come at him with a threat to his life. And each time, he says, no, this is what I'm going to be about. What we see modeled here is perseverance. You know, the older I get, hopefully, the wiser I get, the more I recognize and am sold out on and believe in the reality that so much of life, so much of godly living is a long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson used to say. So much of life is perseverance. It's doing something when you don't feel like doing it, but you know it needs to be done. It's not doing something you want to do because you know it's not what God wants for you. And sometimes we forget perseverance is a necessary part of maturity as a Jesus follower. In the New Testament book of James, remember it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus is our empowerment. He is our example. But it also comes down to our effort. Now, who is this? Brock Purdy, the quarterback for the 49ers, you're going to see him today. Do you know the Brock Purdy story? 
a three-star recruit coming into college, which means he was good but not great. Lots of three-star recruits out there. Played for Iowa State in college, not exactly a football powerhouse. In the 2022 NFL draft, no one thought he was going to be drafted, including him, but he was drafted as the very last player. How would you like that as your distinction in entering the NFL? Do you know what his name became? Mr. Irrelevant. How would you like that to be your name in the media? And so the reality is that when you're drafted last in the NFL draft, you're probably not going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah, he wasn't not the starting quarterback for the 49ers when they drafted him, not the second-string quarterback. He was the third-string quarterback. Do you know the job of the third-string quarterback on a team? You're a warm body. You're an insurance policy that the team hopes they never have to cash in on and use. And then the first-string quarterback got injured last year. And then the second-string quarterback got injured last year. And all of a sudden, Brock Purdy is the starting quarterback for the 49ers. Plays his first game and wins. And everyone says, he got lucky. (laughs) Plays the next game and wins. And people say, the media, never happen again. And then he plays the next game and wins. He wins the next five games. Helps lead them into the playoffs. And then actually is the starting quarterback this season. And what is the message in the media throughout the course of this year? Well, he gets to start because he just doesn't make mistakes. It's not that he's good. He's just (laughs) lucky and doesn't make mistakes. He's what we call a game manager. Not really an efficient quarterback. Starts this entire season and now they're in the Super Bowl. And the all-time single-season passing record for the 49ers is now not owned by Joe Montana or Steve Young. It is owned by Brock Purdy as of this year. Brock Purdy is a Jesus follower, in case you haven't heard. If you've never heard an interview, you wouldn't know that. If you've heard an interview, you would definitely know that. Every chance he gets, he's talking about the Lord. And you made this statement recently about persevering and what fuels and motivates him. Look at this. Life is about being a part of something bigger than yourself. Does that sound like a purpose statement? Does that sound like an identity statement? You get wrapped up in getting all the glory and the fame and the status, and I feel like that's a shallow life, and that can fade away pretty quickly. Brock Purdy never gave up. Brock Purdy is like our Lord because the Lord Jesus never gave up. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do not give up. Jesus, thank you that you are our hope You are our example. You are our empowerment. And Lord, you know there are some watching and listening to this who just want to give up for whatever reason. Maybe they even have. Lord, would you remind us that you are our hope, that you give us a purpose that supersedes 
the things we do in the normal rhythms of daily life. We are a part of your divine rescue mission. We have purpose. Every day our feet hit the floor because we know and have the risen Lord in our lives. So as our king, would you remind us once again of what you have done for us, what you're doing, and what you're going to do, and would we not give up? And we ask this in Jesus' name, in your name. Amen. This God who calls us into his kingdom, who gives us purpose, who invites us into the divine rescue mission, calls us also to community. And community is something that we take seriously here at Grace. We believe in it and we try to live it. And so as a community, we help one another discover God, follow God, trust God. And so if there's any way we can pray for you this morning, we have our prayer teams right up here, right up front. Please, please come pray. We believe in the power of prayer. You know, we heard Toby's story where he got healed. God miraculously healed him. That was just so cool and so encouraging. But sometimes the miracle is not in the healing. Sometimes the miracle is in the strength one day at a time to persevere, to put your feet on the floor and to choose to trust and obey and follow him even when it's hard even when it's, when it's not easy. Because he gives us these promises that are so powerful because they're, they're real. They're ours to have. And in the New Testament book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, Let us not become wary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. And if you feel like giving up, this is a safe place to own that and to receive help. If you're watching, listening, us on, listening to us online, if you go to our prayer link at the footer of our homepage or the prayer button in the middle of that page, we promise you let us know how we can pray for you and we will pray for you. But let me now pray his blessing over us as we go from here. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're real. Your promises are real. Your word is true and that you live within us when we have received you and your offer of freedom and hope and purpose and salvation. But Lord, you know, sometimes we just, we lose perspective, we forget or things get so hard that we just want to give up. Lord, would you renew our perspective this morning? Would you renew our hope? Would you renew our perseverance, so that we wouldn't give up, so that we would choose to keep on keeping on, trusting and obeying the one true God. So Lord, we ask that you will empower us as we go from here to not only persevere, but to live and tell the Jesus story of what you have done for each one of us. Give us all opportunity to do that this week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.